Uh, hi, everyone. I'm Amy. Uh, this is my first time speaking at G2, so thank you very much for having me. I've only got five minutes, and I've got a lot to say, so I want to dive right in. I want to talk to you a little bit about home and what it's like to feel like you're at home when you're not actually at home. Uh, you may have noticed I don't have your typical York accent. <laughs> I am an immigrant. Yes, I am Australian, but no, I don't follow the cricket or rugby. If you bring them up to me, I will generally nod and smile politely, but it's definitely not my forte. When it comes to being far from home, I feel like I do have quite a lot to say. This is one of my favourite pictures, just to show you how much bigger Australia is. You can see England up the top there. I just, it's just a bit of a flex. <laughs> <laughs> so when I think about what home feels like, for me, it's always been important to label my current place that I'm living home. For me, that's just a decision. And I'm always fascinated to hear about what other people think of as home. Maybe it's where your parents live, even if that's not your childhood home. Perhaps it's the place you've lived the longest or the house where you're the you were the happiest. My husband and I have a very good friend who's lived in York his entire life, but he considers a little village in North Wales his home because he spends his holidays volunteering there and that's where he's happiest, so that's home for him. I think for that reason I've always been drawn to the story of Jesus in the temple in Luke 2. I have a cute picture. <laughs> Mary and Joseph left a festival and it's every parent's nightmare. They got home only to realise that their child was missing. It's a bit of a home alone moment because Jesus has been left behind. When they track him down, and that's after three days, it's a parent's nightmare, he's in the church and he says, why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? Do you love that? For Jesus, even as a child, home was where his father was, where his faith was and where his passion was. He was so drawn there that he was surprised that his parents didn't think to look for him there straight away. As a parent, I find that a bit cheeky, to be honest. If I was Mary, that would be naughty step material for sure. <laughs> There's an amazing story in Matthew 21 of Jesus sweeping into a church in Jerusalem and literally flipping over tables and driving out moneylenders who he accused of turning the church into a den of robbers. I think this says a lot about how he feels about his home too. He loved the church. He wanted it to be beautiful. He wanted people to walk in and have a beautiful experience. We talk about the church being the bride of Christ, and he referred to himself as the bridegroom of the church. What a passion. Jesus' passion, his church, was where he considered himself to be home. So think about your home. Are you that passionate? What do you do when a guest comes into your home? Everyone has a different way of hosting people. Do you give them the good chair or is that your domain? Do you insist they remove their shoes or do you let them decide? Do you offer drinks, tea and coffee, the good coffee, not the instant stuff? I have a friend who doesn't drink any hot drinks, not tea, not coffee, not hot chocolate. When she comes to visit, I just kind of flap around uselessly being like, I don't know, do you want some water? <laughs> it feels really awkward. We get used to our cultural tradition, traditions of how to host people in our homes, but I think what we can all agree on is that we try to make people feel at ease and feel welcome. So here's what I really want to ask you. Is church your home? 
Are you hosting people in your church? What might it look like? How might it feel different if you considered this your living room and everyone was here, everyone who's here as your guest? So I'm not going to ask you to go and talk to someone who you don't know today. Don't worry, you're safe. <laughs> but I am going to ask you to have a little bit of a covert look around. Just take a little bit of a stock of maybe who you don't know or who you don't know very well. And next week, aim to connect with someone, maybe that person. And normally I would suggest going and saying hello, but hey, we're all social distancing <laughs> this week. So you can still connect online. Maybe engage with someone in the G2 Facebook group or Instagram. Reach out to someone from the church who Facebook recommends to you as someone you might know. And when someone says hi to you, have a little chat. Um, maybe ask where they're from, what they're currently binging on Netflix. Ask them where their favourite cafe is in town or how long they've lived in York. And just icebreakers is fine. But how much different could the welcome be if we were all treating this like our living room? Last week at Mosaic, the welcome was epic. But you don't need a lanyard with your name on it to welcome people into your own house. I'm inviting you to consider this as your home and consider the people in here as your responsibility to host. But really, the essentials are, just like Jesus, treat this as your home and make it beautiful. Uh, I'm going to leave that to you to reflect on and hand back. Thank you. My name is Paul, and I love a good story. Um, Perhaps you have your own, but my favourites are Narnia, Middle Earth, Foundation, Isaac Asimov, anybody? No? Anyway, when I heard this story, I thought, this is a great little modern parable with a little room for reflection. And in our case, the hero of this story is a prince. Could be a princess. In fact, it could be any of us. But if you're sitting comfortably, I'll begin. Once upon a time, a good king had a great and wonderful kingdom. An ancient dragon had declared war on the king and his people. And, thank you. Heckling from your son, always good. Um, <laughs> the ancient dragon flew in wrath and fury against the king and his people. His fangs poisoned, his fire burned, his feet shredded. Well, with his battle cry, the king would lead his people. He continued to lead them against their enemy. Courage, one day the dragon will be slain. So a prince was investigating a song in the woods, and in the clearing, he came across the dragon. <gasps> Warily, he drew his sword, prepared to defend himself. However, the dragon saw the king, uh, the dragon saw the prince, bowed his head, and said, don't be afraid, I am tired of the battles, and I come with an offer, an offer of peace, a way to coexist. Let me take you into the air and show you what I can see so that you can take back to the king and report. But, you know, I give you my word, no harm will come to you, because he was a dragon after all. Do what you must to feel safe. So the prince considered this, and he only climbed on board the dragon's back when his sword was properly wedged in the neck and drawing blood, and then he felt safe enough to have a seat on the dragon's ridges. And the dragon launched into the sky, and... It was fantastic. The view was marvellous. In fact, it may have even been epic. The prince could never have imagined such an experience. But suddenly the dragon flipped and thrashed and roaring, and it was all the prince could do to hold on. 
and he lost his sword. And the dragon shrieked towards the town, fire raging from his mouth, just obliterating everything in its paths. Now, the prince was sickened, but he, he couldn't let go. But he didn't want to watch what he knew was happening, so he just shut his eyes. And eventually, the screams faded. The dragon landed, and the prince he just he collapsed off. And he stumbled, he stumbled away. And he found himself drawing a stream of refugees who were entering the castle for protection. And to the prince's shame, he saw the king there tending the wounded. And you know, the king's obvious pain and, and, and grief just made the prince feel so bad. And a cry broke the air. He was there! He was on the back of the dragon! I saw him! Horrified, the prince was seized and brought before the king. And as he waited to hear what he knew would be the inevitable death sentence, he shut his eyes. But that's not what happened. The king embraced his son and wept. And he, he spoke, to, the, he spoke to, the, to the mob that was forming. Some fall victim to the dragon's fire. Some fall victim to his fangs. And some fall victims to his feet. But to fly, the dragon needs a rider. And so to each he makes an offer. He sings a song and makes an offer so that he may have a rider. And so many fall victim to his forked tongue. Who else among you has ridden the dragon? Because today there will be mercy. And when the prince looked up, he saw others, lords, ladies, slaves and servants, rich and poor, young and old, men and women, stepping forward more and more until it seemed that almost everybody had stepped forward. Quite a lot crying. Almost everybody hanging their heads in shame. And the king spoke. Alone, you can resist neither the dragon's fury nor his forked tongue. But you draw strength from one another. And when you sing my anthem, it brings help. But this struggle is one of the greatest battles. Do not give up, the king told his people. And so with his battle anthem, courage, one day the dragon will be slain, the king continued to lead his people against the flight of their enemy. But happily, not forever after. So when I heard this story, I saw it as a, well, one of the Proverbs. The Proverbs is about not giving up. You know, falling is not failure. Not getting back up is the failure. So falling and then getting up again and again and again. And I also saw it as a parable of the kingdom of God. And with God as the king, the dragon is his enemy, the devil, and me as the prince in this case, or could be a princess in your case. Or, um, and I reflected that everybody falls. Um, and I know that for me, I started thinking about the story in my head, and I thought, ah, three things stand out to me. One, what song does the dragon sing? What offer does he make to me? And if I'm honest, songs. And two, how do I sing the king's anthem when I am alone in the clearing with the dragon? How do I bring help? And three, when I hear the king's anthem, what do I do? Do I even recognize somebody else singing it? Do I, am I their help? What do I do? Um, and it got me thinking about Jesus' response to people who had fallen. Think of the prodigal son. 
Think of the woman who anointed Jesus' hair with her tears and oil. Think about people who were fallen repentant. Think about people caught in the act. And Jesus addressed all these people. And I think, well, I was thinking about this, and I thought, well, maybe Jesus' response uh, to, to, the, to the mob, to the angry crowd, would have been, let him who has not ridden the dragon strike first. And maybe Jesus' response to the prince would have been, go, sing my song, and answer its call. So these are my thoughts when I heard this story. And you might have your own. It might, it might be similar to mine. It might be completely different. But I had loads of thoughts buzzing around my head. So just take a minute, and we're trusting God to guide whatever thoughts buzz around our heads and reflect on this proverb. And then, after a minute or so, I'll close with a prayer. Our Father, the great King, you live forever. Your kingdom come, your song be sung, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today supplies for the battle. Forgive us when the dragon we ride has burned others, as we forgive them when their dragon burns us. And do not let us be alone in the clearing, but may your anthem bring help and deliver us from turning towards the dragon. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, death to the dragon, life from the king, forever and ever. Amen. Early this year, um, I had the chance to go to America. I was celebrating uh, the wedding of two of my close friends, um, and that, the wedding was in Little Rock in Arkansas. Now, as part of this, my holiday, I got the chance to travel around to various different places around the southern states of America. One of the places I went to was Memphis in Tennessee. Now, Memphis is famous for many things, one of which is uh, Elvis, or barbecue food, or blues music, but it's also the place where Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated. Martin Luther King was staying at the Lorraine Motel the day he was assassinated. And that motel has now been repurposed to form um, the Civil Rights Museum to celebrate and commemorate the life of Martin Luther King and the civil rights movement um, and the work they did to fight against injustice and for freedom. Now, when I think about freedom, I think about, think about it in two lenses. One is freedom against oppression, slavery, discrimination based on ethnicity or sexuality or gender, and the amazing work that charities such as IJM or Tear Fund do to fight against that. The second way I think about it is more from a personal perspective. And frankly, as a white, straight, middle-class man from the southeast, I don't face that much oppression or discrimination in my life. So when I think about freedom, I think about um, the ability to say what I want, do what I want, when I want, to promote my own agenda, to seek my own purposes. When I went to the Civil Rights Museum, I really expected it to be an education um, on the former aspect of uh, freedom. But what I found was it was a real um, challenge and convicting experience in how I view my own personal freedom. The Bible talks about us having freedom in Christ, and I've always found that as a concept quite intangible. What does that mean? What does that look like for us to, 
to be free. Against the backdrop of a, a culture and a society that tells us to uh, be true to ourselves, look after number one, um, you do you, it seems like culture is telling us that we should use our freedom to further our own purposes, but the Bible is, is kind of offering a different perspective to that. So what does the Bible say about how we should use our freedom? There's one passage that I'd like to draw upon, um, and we're going to look at it in two different translations. So it's Galatians 5.13, and I'll read the NIV version first. It says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. And then secondly, the, the Passion Translation says, Beloved ones, God has called us to live a life of freedom in the Holy Spirit, but don't view this wonderful freedom as an opportunity to set up a base of operations in the natural realm. Freedom means that we become so completely free of self-indulgence that we become servants of one another, expressing love in all we do. Now, we could spend many weeks uh, sort of deep diving into the different phrases and Greek text used in, in the original text, but I think what we can see from this passage is freedom from the biblical perspective is not about our own purposes and self-indulgence. In fact, it's about being so free from self-indulgence that we can live and serve one another and do that through, through love. And I think while, whilst I was at the Civil Rights Museum, it became really clear to me that this was something at the heart of Martin Luther King's life, but also at the heart of the movement. They saw themselves as, as fighting injustice for the people they were fighting against, um, but motivated out of love. His life was a, is a direct challenge to me and should be for all of us about how we as Christians are meant to live given the freedom we've got. It was a really convicting experience about how I'd been distracted by um, the story of freedom that society tells us. As I draw to a close, I want to read out a speech that Martin Luther King gave just two months before he died. And this really reiterates to me how he wanted to live his life and how, as Christians, we should be challenged to, to be living. So as I read this, please listen to the words and then some questions will appear on the screen for you to discuss on your tables. So Martin Luther King said, Every now and then, I guess we all think realistically about the day when we'll be victimized with what is life's final common denominator. That's something we call death. We all think about it, and every now and then I think about my own death, and I think about my own funeral. And I don't think about it in a morbid sense. And every now and then I ask myself what it is that I had once said, and I leave you the, the word this morning. If any of you are around when I have to meet my day, I don't want a long funeral. And if you get somebody to, deliver, to deliver the eulogy, tell him not to talk too long. Every now and then, I wonder what I want him to say. Tell him not to mention that I have a Nobel Peace Prize. That isn't important. Tell him not to mention that I have 300 or 400 other awards. That's not important. 
Tell him not to mention where I went to school. I'd like somebody to mention that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to give his life serving others. I'd like for somebody to say that day that Martin Luther King Jr. tried to love somebody. I want you to say that day that I tried to be right and to walk with them. I want you to be able to say that day that I did try to feed the hungry. I want you to be able to say that, that, that day that I did try to clothe the naked. I want you to say on that day that I did try in my life to visit those who are in prison. And I want you to say that I tried to love and serve humanity. Yes, if you want to, say that I was a drum major. Say that I was a drum major for justice. Say that I was a drum major for peace. I was a drum major for righteousness. And all of the other shallow things will not matter. I won't have any money to leave behind, but I just want to leave a committed life behind. And that is all I want to say. If I can help somebody as I pass along, if I can cheer somebody with a well song, if I can show somebody he's traveling wrong, then my living will not be in vain. Thank you. So, the first picture, yeah, so I love being outdoors uh, in the countryside and spend many hours walking with my dog, uh, he's a border collie called Jasper, and um, admiring the beauty of the world and it's uh, something I'm quite passionate about is, is creation and the wonderful environment that we live in. And uh, as well as living uh, in a village on the edge of the walls, we've got beautiful hillsides that I can look out on and, and walk on. I'm also a frequent visitor to the North York Moors and also the Lake District. So you might recognise this, this scene for anyone familiar with the lakes. This is one of my favourite places. It is Langdale in the Lakes. And I, I've been thinking about the natural world and people's attitudes and actions how the Earth's resources are being exploited uh, for quick, short-term profit, how people of influence are uh, acting selfishly and not considering their global neighbours, how indigenous people's homes and cultures are being threatened. And there's been increased media coverage uh, showing how our human activities are having a negative detrimental effect on the world. Life is in the balance for many species and the future doesn't look great for future generations due to the effects of climate change. Uh, so this example here is deforestation in the Amazon. The picture top left is highlighting just areas that you can see from space where the fires are on the perimeters of the rainforest. And then the next slide is the oil sands extraction in Canada. And uh, there we see that uh, the tar sands extraction is leaving a scarred um, and barren land. Uh, and a representative from the First Nations indigenous groups described the environmental impact of the tar sands industry as an environmental holocaust. And the final slide on the climate is pictures from recent fires in Australia which have been devastating for animals as well as people. So it breaks my heart to see the consequences of man's actions 
on our world. Our loving God made it beautifully for us, and uh, we're called to care for his creation. Uh, we all have a responsibility to consider how we use resources and care for our planet, and through our actions, however small, we can all make a difference. So if we turn to the Bible, uh, in Psalm 24 we read, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, for he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. And again, in the creation story in Genesis, it says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living thing that moves in the ground. So God created the world and everything in it. He breathed life through his creation and he gave mankind dominion over the earth. With this comes responsibility. God has entrusted us as stewards, managing finite resources for the benefit of all living things and caring for the world around us. I wonder what can we do to make a difference? How can we make a difference? Well, we can consider the products that we buy um, and how they're made and are they sustainable and ecological. We can reduce waste by reusing and recycling. We can write to our MPs and leaders to express our concerns and seek change. So on this picture, back, uh, back in the day I used to write letters, but nowadays we've got the internet and um, email, and so I can instantly fire off emails to uh, business leaders or MPs and uh, even leaders of other nations um, signing petitions and asking for change. And this picture is uh, from one, an email that I got about a little um, indigenous people uh, in Brazil, where it's a boy there, and they're, they're really concerned about the impact that uh, deforestation is having there on, on the indigenous people. And so that's one of the images there. Um, and another thing, uh, I, I, along with obviously several thousands of other people, not just me alone, uh, sent an email to uh, petitioning for the reduce of um, plastic packaging in supermarkets. And thankfully, Mr. Sainsbury's was listening, so now I can get my fruit and veg and not use um, their bags, but I have my own mesh bags that I can put all my fruit, fruit and veg in and reuse them. So last week, I discovered hashtag live Lent. And uh, this is the Church of England's Lent campaign for 2020. And it's called Care for God's Creation. So I was really excited to learn that the Archbishop's Wellbeing Centre Moo had also got the memo. Um, it's an opportunity for us to rebuild our relationship with creation and also with God. I know we're perhaps a, a bit late to the party, being two weeks into Lent, but there is a free app that you can download 
and there is a daily reflection with a, sh a short Bible reading and also an action. And the actions suggest ways that we can help the environment. And there's also a, a family challenge too, so everybody can, can buy into this. So we take a few minutes now just to discuss on our tables what we can do to take care of God's creation or discuss what we're already doing as his stewards. <laughs>